0: Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe.
1: What's up, y'all? You're probably thinking, why is this dude wearing the same clothes as his last episode? Well, I am off to Reno tomorrow, so I am getting one in the can, as they call it, in the biz. I'm getting an episode in the can, so I don't leave you guys hanging. Uh, I also had another interview with Marty Bent today, which you have already watched. And God, that was a great one. I really hope you guys appreciated that. I, I felt a kindred spirit right there. That guy gets it. It's so rare to find someone that who's, who's really on the ball, and he was. Um, so today, I'm going to go over some topics that, uh, I don't know if they're timeless, but they're they're certainly the last. So you're going to be watching this a week from now, but whatever. You get it. It's good. Uh, before we get into the show, I want to thank our sponsor for tonight's episode, and that is Expat Money Summit. Uh, they are an upcoming online summit by my friend who's been on the show, Mikel Thorpe. From expatmoney.com with over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. It's free to attend expatmoneysummit.com or claim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign, foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden. Legally how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions and get in and out of those different countries. Uh, You will also learn how uh, about a libertarian island haven, private cities, communities on the ocean, and a food and energy independent town in Latin America or towns. I cannot wait for this. I'm really going to do my best to get out there. I am traveling so much this year, but I'm going to try... My best. So I hope to see you guys there. Register now for free. expatmoneysummit.com This is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Register for free. right this MFing second. Go to expatmoneysummit.com See you guys there. Hopefully. So we're going to start off with my favorite fatty and yours, Mr. Michael Moore. He's talking about the Uvalde shooting and what we should do about it. What do you think his answer is gonna be? I bet you can guess.
2: I don't know. To nickel and dime this, I don't know if that's gonna
1: do it. I think that we need some
2: really drastic action here. Um, we need a moratorium perhaps on gun sales. Um, we need to, who will say on this network or
1: any other network and then net- Just real quick, think about how stupid that is to put a moratorium on gun sales. There's over a half a billion guns in this country. Half a billion. Do you think that putting a moratorium on purchases of guns is going to change what happened here? Come on, man.
2: Next few days, it's time to repeal the Second Amendment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Go straight for the jugular. Thanks, Mike. Oh, goodness. And this guy did a documentary back in the day, if you recall, was Bowling for Columbine, where, I, if I recall correctly, he concluded in his documentary that it was, you know, the mental condition of these people, primarily. Well, no more. Now we just got to get rid of your rights. Standard communist operating procedure.
2: Oh, you can't say that. Well, why not? Why not?
1: Uh, because of the Bill of Rights. That's why. Pretty simple. Bill of Rights.
2: If, if I, I truly believe that Jefferson and Washington and Madison, if they all knew that, that the bullet would be invented, some... 50 years after our revolution. I don't know if they would have written it that way. They didn't yeah. even know what a bullet was. It didn't exist to the 1830s.
1: Oh, come on, man. It was, a, it was a round, hard piece of metal. You think that they couldn't have figured out that there might be a way to put that, that powder behind the metal? Just unimaginable. Same Same exact stupid argument could be made about the First Amendment. They couldn't have imagined the internet, so how could they have imagined the concept of free speech or privacy? These rights are eternal. They cross not just time, but technological advancement. That's what makes it so brilliant. Because ultimately, the technology is not the issue. It's the government's encroachment on our ability to be free. That's what it's about, Mike. Eesh.
2: If they had any idea that there would be this kind of carnage, you have to believe that the founders of this country wouldn't support it. Well, but the, but the fact that this, this...
1: I don't believe that, for the record.
2: These, these none of this, any, I'm look, I support all gun control legislation, not sensible gun control. We don't need the sensible stuff. We need the hardcore stuff that's going to protect ourselves and our children. I don't know if we're willing to do that, but... <laughs>
1: I love that. We don't need the sensible stuff. <laughs> we need the unsensible stuff. <laughs> A very sensible position to take.
2: I I will say that um, I do have thoughts and prayers, and those thoughts and prayers are to remove as many Republicans as as many people who support this evil policy uh, this coming November. And Americans know this. They don't want this. They don't want.
1: That's interesting. It almost sounded there like he said. He said, remove these evil Republicans and then remove these people that support these evil policies. That almost sounded like he was talking about the voters. Let's hear it one more time.
2: Uh, this coming November. And Americans know this. They don't remove as many Republicans as as many people who support this evil policy uh, this coming November.
1: I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he means remove some of the Democrats that also support gun rights. I, I hope that's what he means. I hope he didn't mean the voters because that's that gets real commie.
2: And Americans know this. They don't want this. They don't want their kids killed at school. That's the vast majority of Americans. I'm in the mainstream of that.
1: Yes. Yeah, the people that believe in gun rights, they, they do want their children murdered at school. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, it's so detached from like what their opposition actually believes. It's so detached. It's almost hard to believe that they believe it, but I think they do. I don't know.
2: The vast majority of Americans, they, they believe that a fertilized egg is not a human being. We have got to remove that these people that they are, they are. They believe in violence. They believe.
1: I love that. It's like, yeah, the vast majority of people believe that a fertilized egg is not a human being. But I would bet the vast majority of people do think it's life. And taking of life is murder. So it's like a semantic little game there. Gotcha
2: in the history they don't want to take down their confederate statues they are so tied in to america and what it's really about and and
1: <laughs> they're so tied into america and what it's really about that's a bad thing okay you know can i just say uh, well it's done you're done mike i'm so glad that your estrogen therapy is working um it's working to our detriment because it's making you more deranged but You look incredible, Michaela, scumbag. Just to show you that American politicians shift with the wind. To show you how completely fraudulent they are. Because don't tell me that Joe Biden, who, by the way, was bald in the 70s and then has a head of hair now. No one talks about it. uh, Sorry, I got sidetracked. Don't tell me that he actually had a change of heart. Because I don't buy it. And you know why I don't buy it? because he doesn't ever talk about having a change of heart. Let's go.
2: Handbasket. We are desperately concerned about the circumstance relating to uh, avian flu. We don't have enough vaccines. We don't have enough police officers and we're going to debate the next three weeks, I'm told, gay marriage, a flag amendment, and God only knows what else. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We already have a law. The Defense of Marriage Act, where we've all voted, not where I voted and others said, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. What's the game going on here? And
1: <laughs> handback. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yep. Well, ah, these people, they're just... They don't believe any of the stuff they run on. They really don't. That was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, that was the standard Democrat talking point for the young listeners out there. You'll struggle to believe it. Uh, But marriage was between a man and a woman. What game is going on here? I mean, they sound exactly like the conservatives of today. I mean, not even worse. Worse. The conservatives of today don't talk about gay marriage like at all for the most part. They talk about like the trans teachers and things like that but they don't talk about gay marriage as being a real issue. But 15 years ago, bingo. That was standard Democrat procedure. They don't believe what they say. Just always keep that in mind. Keep in mind that the Joe Biden that today that talks about trans rights and protecting minorities and all that, this guy has locked up more minorities than probably any living politician in America. Don't believe him. Do not believe him. And he's also up there talking about how he's so, you know, heartbroken over the kids in Uvalde, Texas. Do you have any idea how many brown children were eviscerated in the wars Of which Biden voted for every single one in my lifetime. Do you have any idea how many there are? Does he get up on stage and cry about that? Never. Never even talks about it. Forgive me. I don't buy your crocodile tears. And I don't buy any of the narrative that you try and propagate. You are purely an actor. And a bad one. A bad one with brain issues. (laughs) Dana Bash of CNN asking uh, Governor of Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, check this out. I know we're already past the abortion conversation, but this was this was just too galling for me not to play for you guys.
3: Arkansas already struggles to support vulnerable children. Nearly one in four children in Arkansas lives in poverty. More than 4,600 kids are already in your state's overlaid, overloaded foster care system. Do you really think that your state is prepared to protect and care for even more children if abortion does become illegal there?
1: (laughs) Oh, man, it's so dark. That is so dark to talk about. If you were to, you know, ban abortion, what would you do with all those poor kids? It's incredible. Would you rather be dead than poor? Sometimes I think that maybe they feel that way. Like they can't even fathom that reality of not having a silver spoon in their mouth. I know it's hard for you to hear that coming from me overlooking this view, but I was poor for quite some time. And, uh, let me tell you, being poor and alive is a lot better than not existing in my experience. (laughs) Uh, so yeah these people are crazy and you know, I have already told you guys I've come around much closer to the port uh, pro life side. I, I still, I still struggle to envision empowering the state to criminalize it because I, we already have so many people in prison. I just think it's, it's a dangerous idea. However, I do understand. And I believe personally that it is murder. Um, so it's a tough one for me. And I'm, I'm, weighing everything in my head all the time and I know that position pisses everybody off because everybody seems to be on one side or the other strongly Uh, but let me just say definitively I am absolutely on the side of giving birth to children even if they are not assured a wealthy lifestyle versus killing them I think that's a pretty easy decision to make anytime we do abortion talk I like to follow up with something that we can all enjoy And what do we enjoy more than politicians being yelled at online next to nothing? (laughs) Almost nothing. It's almost the greatest thing on earth. So check this out. This is a bunch of MPs in the UK talking about the abuse that they receive online. And it is so funny.
3: There would be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of offensive tweets. Just shut up, (laughs) scum. You don't know what you're talking about. Pipe down, (laughs)
1: Violence and abuse directed MPs is I a cannot growing problem. Remember a week now when there hasn't been a serious incident being investigated <laughs>
4: by the police. You have morbid conversations of God if I you know if I ever lost my life. Coming into Parliament with a fresh pair of eyes, I've been able to see that some of this stuff is not acceptable.
1: <laughs> Kim Ledbetter was elected MP for Batley and we seen should not, in not have anybody who
4: is accepting um excuse me, twenty two horrible emails whether it's people being shouted at in the street accepting that as part of their job
1: kim knows the threats that mps face 2016 her sister mp joe cox was murdered <laughs> okay well that's I've so. not
4: dealt with her murder i can say it but i haven't dealt with it at all um but it would also be wrong to say that i'm not angry i'm extremely angry
1: Dispatches spoke to over 60 MPs about the abuse threats that they received. Nearly all reported threatening or abusive message messages. I like the abuse. I don't know about the threatening. 75% reported receiving threats f- of physical violence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one in three female MPs said they'd be been threatened with sexual so violence. One of
4: the first in the morning is to go through all of the emails that I've received overnight and delete the ones that are just abusive. This morning we've got an email that is commenting on the size of my backside. Uh, which i'm not sure is contributing an awful
1: amount to the political debate uh that's where you're wrong your backside may be contributing an awful lot ask aoc uh yeah Uh, for the record you know i'm not i'm not condoning threats however i receive threats so you're an elected politician of course you're going to receive threats like who cares move on it's it's fascinating that like i think it's because they're older they just can't Adopt or adapt to this lifestyle, but like you're in the public eye and you have immense control over people's lives. Like when you with their lives, they're going to talk shit to you. And even if you don't, they're still going to talk shit to you. Just how it goes. Get with the program. Uh,
0: I've had to refer several emails this morning to the police. I hope you get hit by a bus and your mother for giving birth to a creature like you.
1: He He had to report that to the police this morning. Come on, man. That's so weak.
4: Morning, my Oldham office had its one of its windows
1: uh, smashed in. Parliamentary Security Department reported over 4,500 social media posts, oh no, with threats or abuse aimed at MPs in the first three months of this year. And for some, the threat of violence is forcing them out of frontline politics. Awesome.
4: I got my first death threat in 2017, and I remember looking at it and thinking, I really can't quite believe what I've just, just seen.
1: 2017, bitch, get on my level. I was getting death threats in like 2012, son, step your game up One was an MP between 2015 and 2019.
3: I remember coming home from London one night, two police officers in the, in the lounge, two police officers in the garden at the back, two outside the front door. And there's a helicopter out trying to find him. And it turned out he was 200 yards away, hiding in long grass. He was an ex Marine or para I think. And that,
1: uh, I wonder, I wonder. If it's because y'all sent him to war, that he's been totally nuts. Do they even consider that? Probably not.
3: was close. I freaked out. But that type of thing, unfortunately, became routine. And it certainly wasn't unique to me. This was, unfortunately, the lives that we were all living.
1: I just wish that they would reflect on the fact that, like, if you are receiving so much hate, you might want to reflect on both the decisions that you're making, what kind of conditions, lifestyle people are existing in, uh, the wars that you're sending them off to die and be traumatized in. And just the general economic tumult that you put people's lives through. They don't even consider any of that. It's just like, oh, these people are all, you know, crazy. I'm sure some of them are, but I'm sure some of them aren't. <laughs> 2019, Heidi Allen decided to step away from politics. Oh, boohoo!
3: I think it's a dreadful shame. It's a dreadful shame. I wish I'd had more. Because I love that job
1: not spoken about it for quite a while but i do miss it but i'm not a robot so I ha- neither am i and i can handle it it's anonymous accounts saying garbage who cares it's just so pathetic like i think that that's probably the issue i have most with this video is like i'm doing this for basically no money and i still have had my life turned upside down because I really believe in what I'm doing, what I'm talking about. These people actually have an opportunity to change like the nature of the government that they live in and that their friends and family live in. That's such an, an amazing honour, especially if you do it with honour. And I would imagine that they weren't doing it with honour, which is why their constituents despise them.
3: I have to look after myself. Um, but it's a dreadful shame, because I do think I
4: could have made a difference. I think. Important work has been done to make MPs feel safer. But again, until we address some of the deeper issues around political discourse and extremism. Mm,
1: yes, extremism. The key, the key word extremism.
4: Then it's really difficult to just put sticking plasters over making people feel safe.
1: MPs under threat. Monday, May 23rd. Watch on C4. I mean, I just couldn't give a fuck less, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) I just don't care. I don't care at all. And now to give you an idea of why I don't care, uh, there's a coup, which many people believe was implemented by the United States government in Pakistan, and this is the fallout. This is the fallout when you overthrow governments against the people's will. Check it out. For those that are listening, uh, take my word for it. This is a lot of people, like a lot, a lot, a lot of people. Um, I just wanted you guys to be aware of it because Pakistan's a nuclear power. And they have had conflicts with India for the longest time. I don't know if it's going to go there. um, But, you know, when you overthrow a nuclear power, it seems like that's kind of like the trend line. Like that's what we're doing right now. We're just overthrowing a bunch of nuclear powers. Like Putin's a nuclear power. We're messing with him, Pakistan, uh, China potentially. Like there aren't that many nuclear powers in the world. So to potentially be overthrowing three of them all at the same time, Makes me really, really nervous, to be honest. I'm going to read this from Tommy Sammons over at Year Zero just because he uh, he put me on the trail, and I just want to give him a shout out for it. It says, S&P Global, which is that company I talked about a couple episodes back that had removed uh, Tesla from the approved ESG list, says, S&P Global has announced ESG metrics will be used on states. Ooh, boy. This means that any state not in compliance with wokeness will be hampered in their ability to import and export. States will either adopt a global standard or they will be unable to host multinational corporations. That's huge. Uh, If a state allows the pursuit of fossil fuels, gun ownership, parents to have authority over their children's education, free speech, limitations on abortion, property ownership, collection of rainwater, independent farming, or any other form of decentralized enterprise, that state will be ostracized in a very similar manner as we see with Russia, Iran, and North Korea. I don't know. I mean, he's obviously guessing, but it's certainly possible that that's to the the extent that they'll take it. China, in preparation to exhibit their authority over Taiwan, has recognized this. Xi has ordered every member of CCP (coughs) to rid themselves of assets in foreign countries. That's scary. This will limit hardships of financial warfare. Normally, I wouldn't recommend taking lessons in liberty from China, but we're witnessing a war waged by oligarchs for control. They smell blood in the water and will stop at nothing. The autocratic leaders of the world are putting up a fight, creating parallel economies in order to ensure that they remain in power. If these dictatorial statesmen know anything, it is how to maintain and use power. Taking a page out of their book, organizing alternative methods of trade and parallel systems in order to realize more liberty and sovereignty for your family and future generations may be the only chance. I just wanted to share that because uh, Tommy's right. Tommy is right. That's what you ought to be doing. You ought to be finding ways to be... More autonomous, so that uh, if the worst comes to pass, if they really do take ESG to state level, uh, that's that's a huge problem, man. Because then, if we have, if we're fortunate enough to have a state that is actually, you know, treating us how we want to be treated, well, they could put ESG guidelines, which makes um, you know existing in that state very challenging, which will basically coerce the local government or the governorship uh, to do woke stuff to continue to stay afloat very scary and we got uh vivek ramaswamy who i read his book uh i forget the title of it right now i'll remember it as we watch this but this guy is great in-depth research on esg
3: i think all stakeholders can be satisfied uh, by a company just focusing on satisfying its consumers and its employees, rather than than maybe uh, delving into ESG, it's kind of the anti-ESG you're launching, is it not?
1: Uh, what a weird question! Like ESG's only been around for 15 years. Like capitalism worked prior, <laughs> so why 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 would you even ask that question? Like, can't can a business succeed? Like, that? of course it can. It did for all of human existence prior. Well, I I find it difficult to be
3: anti-ESG when I I find it very difficult to even define what ESG means today. But here's actually what we do stand for, is a message to corporate America to focus on excellence over politics. If you're an oil company, be an excellent oil company. If you're a coal company, be an excellent coal company. And if you're a solar company, be an excellent solar company. But we're not going to tell, for example, oil companies not to be oil companies. And and Joe, this relates to, I think, uh, what I call a fiduciary issue with the top asset managers in the world. And what I think is happening today is a problem where the biggest asset managers on the planet, BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, I think they're using their clients' capital to advocate for viewpoints in the boardrooms of corporate America that most of their own clients disagree with. That's a sort of fiduciary breach. And there is so much capital concentrated in the hands of just those three firms, 20 trillion, more than the GDP of the United States, that the real problem is when that much capital is concentrated in one set of hands or in a few hands that are advocating for one ideology, we lack the true diversity of thought that the American economy depends on and that our capital markets depend on.
1: Bingo. So Strive is the EFT that's being launched by uh, Peter Thiel and Ackman. Uh, Thiel was uh, PayPal along with Elon, which actually I think I read today that uh, Thiel stepped down from the board of, God, I forget the name of it, anyways. Oh, oh, Meta, Meta, which is like Facebook's insanity. So there are a lot of very wealthy, very powerful guys that are seeing the writing on the wall. Finally, thank God. And they are, you know, this is capitalism's answer to it. They're going to come up with anti-ESG ETFs. Like that's, that's awesome. Let's, let's pray that they really take off and let's pray that they make outsized gains so that more and more people divest of these ESG funds, a la BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, and maybe one or two of those uh, money managers change their path as well.
3: So that's what we're hoping to fix at Strive.
5: It, what, Vivek and I, I did a little
3: uh, a look at ESG and performance. Would you say that the the just in terms of, of not looking at it in terms of value or value judgment or ideology, it, it, it doesn't outperform? I mean, you can feel good. I get theoretically. I guess you can feel good about it. But it is. Are there studies that are in where the, we can just close the door and say, absolutely, ESG does not work any better than anything else and maybe works worse? Do you know? Yeah, well, look, I think there is, it's clear that there's no evidence that ESG outperforms, despite the claims made by some of the world's largest asset managers and their CEOs. There's no evidence to support that fact. Of course, people on both sides of this debate are going to cherry pick data to support their own views. But our perspective at Strive, and my personal perspective, is that many of the underlying companies are actually performing more poorly because of what these large shareholders, and I use shareholders in quotes because it's not really their money, it's the money of their clients.
1: Bingo huge point right there. It's it's not that the returns for the investors are necessarily worse than other ETFs, but rather the companies themselves are managing themselves into decreasing their profits because they are pursuing wokeness over profit. I mean, they're trying to be woke and make profits from that, but ultimately they're not focusing on production and you know efficiency and things of that nature.
3: But what these large asset managers are telling these companies to do. Exxon actually suffered a, a proxy battle that caused it to reduce its oil production. I think Exxon would be a more successful company today if it were actually drilling for more oil than it was before BlackRock and engine number one told Exxon to go in a different direction. What
1: and a novel I think that there idea. There were
3: bad externalities for the American economy, for our reliance on Russian oil. There are geopolitical consequences that cause consumers to pay higher prices at the pump
1: uh yeah like we're dying right now <laughs> so yeah i think that he's onto something there and that's not really a point i've made yet but i've thought about it in the past that you know if you are incentivizing oil producers to go green well obviously that's going to diminish the output of oil <laughs> hey what a concept and if you have the biggest oil producers on the planet that are all focusing on going green. Well, then you end up with real shortages and we may be experiencing that today. That that certainly plays into it on top of the printing and the uh, the stopping of supplies coming from Russia and elsewhere.
3: And part of what we're exposing is the fact that it's the money of everyday American citizens that's being used to advance this ideology that most of them actually disapprove of. And that's Bingo. a disconnect that we have to address. And one way to look at it, Joe, is. If you got the CEOs of Exxon, Shell, Chevron, and ConocoPhillips in a room, say, and they coordinated to say, we're going to reduce gas production and gas prices spike as a result, that'd be the stuff of movies. There'd be handcuffs. People would be locked up on antitrust violations. Yet today, when the largest owners of those firms effectively direct them and mandate them to do the same thing, somehow that gets celebrated as ESG instead. That's a problem. But we think the right solution is competition. That's what we're bringing to the table.
1: Well, how do you do? Vivek, I really appreciate that guy. Um, he's an Indian immigrant, brilliant, hardworking, former, uh, bio or like pharma bro started his own company and, uh, obviously made a lot of money. He's a couple of years younger than me and he's balling and he's really taking the good fight on, you know, he's going right after the big boys of ESG and he is trying to come up with a free market alternative that allows people to divest from the woke capitalist model of ESG and go into an anti ESG investing paradigm, which will be incredible. So I wanted to bring that to your attention because a lot of people have asked me, Clint, where should I be investing? If not with those guys? Well, now you have an answer. Strive. I mean, it's one. I'm not telling you where to invest, but that is an alternative out there that you might want to look into. Seriously. I will be. And a word I've been using a lot lately, uh, which I don't think I've ever actually explained. So forgive me for those that already know, but stagflation is just a stagnated economy. So usually like either flat or even recessionary paired with inflation, stag stagnant, you know, inflation, inflation. Uh, and this is from business insider. It says the U S is on the cusp of stagflation and markets are yet to fully realize hedge fund giant Bridgewater says. So when a hedge fund says it, you might want to pay attention. U.S. Economy is on the cusp of stagflation and markets are yet to fully re- respond, according to co-chief investment officer of Bridgewater Associates, the world's biggest hedge fund. Bob Prince told Bloomberg TV on Tuesday, investors are being too optimistic about the path for inflation and rates. I would agree. When asked if he thinks stagflation will hit the U.S., Prince said, we're on the cusp of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty blunt. Stagflation is a dreaded combination of high inflation and low growth. Inflation is running at its hottest for 40 years in the U.S., And although growth is still holding up, many economists expect it to slow as the Fed raises interest rates to cool prices. Prince said the U.S. is currently experiencing a monetary inflation. He said the huge injections of stimulus from the government and the Fed during the pandemic had boosted spending. But he said this was now pushing up prices rather than adding to real growth in the economy. He said the bond market uh, showed investors were being too optimistic about inflation with longer dated bonds priced as though inflation will cool sharply. The markets are under under discounting the inflation picture. The sustainability, the self-reinforcing of the inflation is not discounted. The degree of tightening over time is not discounted, he told Bloomberg at, at the World Economic Forum in Davos. On the plus side, Prince said U.S. banks are now far safer than they have been in the past. The banking system is not leveraged, he said. I disagree there. Adding that the stimulus had helped banks become less risky because they'd invested the money in safe assets such as U.S. Treasuries. Well, they're safe until they aren't. Although predictions of a recession are growing louder, many on Wall Street think fears of a serious slowdown are overblown. J.P. Morgan boss Jamie Dimon said the U.S. economy is still strong and that consumers have plenty of savings, which should cushion them if a recession were to happen. Yeah. What's he going to say? Guy's got (laughs) huge conflict of interest in pretending that there's no recession coming. Just to back up what Vivek said earlier, uh, we've got a Wall Street Journal article says the welcome pushback against politicized investment managers. I'm just going to take some snippets because it's too long. But BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street control more than $20 trillion in assets. In 90% of public companies, one of the big three is the largest shareholder. In 90% of public companies, one of those three money managers are the largest shareholder. Think about that. More money means more votes. At S&P 500 companies, the big three casts about 20 to 25% of all shareholder votes. And that voting block will only grow as more Americans move their savings into passive funds. Scary. Fortunately, it looks as if more of our elected representatives are waking up. West Virginia's state treasurer recently fired BlackRock from State Investment Board over its China ties and hostility to fossil fuels. Good for you. West Virginia. Florida's top officials have moved to claw back proxy voting power from outside fund managers over Chinese entanglements and in politicized investment decisions. Good job, Florida. Texas, with other states to follow, has gone so far as to demand fair treatment and financing for industries that don't fit the politics of Mr. Fink, etc, or at et all. Uh, think fracking, guns and oil. God bless you, Texas. Congress is joining that conversation. This week, the Senate took up a major bill, the Investor Democracy is Expected Act. The Index Act requires passive investment managers to cast funds' most important votes in accord with the wishes of actual investors. What a novel idea. This kind of reform dissipates the political power amassed by the Big Three as an incident uh, to the rise of passive investing. It would push America's public companies to respond to the desires of ultimate investors, i.e. regular people. Well, thank you very much. You know, the way I always function is anytime the government gets involved, I get skeptical. But that doesn't sound like the worst idea in the world to me. It really doesn't. It's basically just dictating what ought to have been happening in any semblance of a free market in the first place, I think a better option would just be to disconnect them from the Federal Reserve or to end the Federal Reserve. But seeing as that's not on offer, I'll take what I can get. I want to thank our other sponsor for tonight's show, and that is CareerHackers.com. If you are looking at all this economic turmoil and your job is at all sketchy, or if they treated you like shit over the past year where they forced something in your body, might be a good opportunity to reassess what you're doing with your employment. You spend eight hours a day at most of these companies. If you ain't getting treated right, figure something else out. Go to careerhackers.com. Sign up for the daily job hunt is a free email newsletter that will help you become a better job applicant. Again, go to careerhackers.com. I don't usually read entire articles. Um, I try not to, but this one's only a three minute read and it's so good. I had to do it. It's by Susan Dunham. Says what we learned from hating the unvaccinated. It's just a beautiful, beautiful piece. The battlefield is still warm. Following Canada's war on the unvaccinated, the mandates have led up, and both sides stumble back into something that looks like the old normal. Except that there is a fresh and present injury done to the people we tried to break, and no one wants to talk about it. Only weeks ago, it was the admitted goal of our own leaders to make life unlivable for the unvaccinated, and as a deputized collective, we force uh, multiplied that pain taking the fight into our, fam- uh, into our families, friendships, and workplaces. Today, we face the hard truth that none of it was justified, and in doing that, uncover a precious lesson. It was a quick slide from righteousness to cruelty, and however much we might blame our leaders for the push, we're accountable for stepping into the trap despite better judgment. We knew that waning immunity put vast numbers of the fully vaccinated on par with the shrinking minority of unvaccinated, yet we marked them for special persecution. We said they hadn't done the right thing by turning their bodies over to the state care. Even though we knew that principled opposition to such a thing is priceless in any circumstance, and we truly let ourselves believe that going into another ineffectual lockdown would be their fault, not the fault of toxic policy. And so it was by the willful ignorance of science, civics, and politics that we squeezed the unvaccinated to the degree that we did. We invented a new rubric for the good citizen and, failing to be one ourselves, took pleasure in scapegoating anyone who didn't measure up. After months of engineered lockdowns, having someone to blame and to burn simply felt good. That's so true. I really, I've thought about that a lot, that, you know, people were in pain and they just, they were lashing out at whoever they could. So we cannot hold our heads high. As if believing we had logic, love, or truth on our side while we viciously wish death upon the unvaccinated, the best we can do is sit in the awareness of our rabid inhumanity for having cast so many aside. Most of us who pilloried the noncompliant did it because it seemed like certain victory. Like the unvaccinated would never make it through unbroken. Indeed, the promised new normal looked unbeatable. So we sided with it and made punching bags out of the holdouts. But betting against them has been a scathing embarrassment for many of us who've now learned that the mandates only had the power we gave them. It was not through quiet compliance that we avoided endless domination by pharmaceutical companies and medical checkpoints at every doorway. It was thanks to the people we tried to tear down. So for those of us not among the hopeless few that pray for the return of mandates, we might find some inner gratitude for the unvaccinated. We took the bait by hating them but their perseverance brought us the time to see we were wrong. It seems right now like the mandates will return, but this time there's hope that more of us will see them for what they are, a rising authoritarianism that has no concern for our well-being. If there's an enemy, it's the confidence game of state power and the transparent attempt to tear us apart, heeding that looks like our best shot at redemption. Absolutely glorious. Susan K. Dunham on on Instagram if you want to follow her. My goodness, what a piece. Just beautiful. I don't have much to add. I don't have much to add on that other than to say thank you. Thank you for realizing the error of your ways and saying so in such a beautiful way. I I hope that touches a lot of people. I know many of my listeners suffered through the mandates um, and being ostracized. And perhaps I I know many of you lost jobs. And... You know, I was as filled with rage as anybody. Um, But, you know, people like that. People like that that can acknowledge sincerely the error of their ways. Like, I welcome them back into the fold, into the inner sanctum of humanity again. You know, you can't hold a grudge against people that realize sincerely what they've done wrong. Now, those that didn't realize sincerely, (coughs) Bill Gates... Um, <coughs> Fauci, I, I, I don't have much patience, patience for you. In fact, I'd like to see you on trial. How about that? Thank you to Tyler Carditis, the uh, head honcho over at The Blaze for this tip. He tweeted it out. And this is the head honcho over at, uh, at YouTube talking about how open they are how they allow for open discourse.
6: An it's open a platform where any one of us, if we have an idea, a thought to share with the world, we can do that no matter what part of the world we're from without gatekeepers, without somebody telling us whether our idea is good or bad. Uh,
1: what? <laughs> what platform do you work for? <laughs> Hasn't been my experience, but okay. And it's that open
6: platform that actually is really the power of YouTube. And so there are lots of voices on our platform.
1: Even the bitch to his left is like, You for real, son? you for real though,
6: that have opinions that certainly I would disagree with, probably many people in this audience would disagree with, on a regular basis. And it doesn't mean that we should remove those videos. Um, And so, while we're an open platform, we've always had this, what I would say is, is a robust set of community guidelines, which we've had to evolve as YouTube has evolved.
1: How are you an open platform with a robust set of community guidelines, aka a metric for censorship?
6: How? how? Uh, And we've had to catch up in many places. Uh, And generally speaking, those community guidelines are derived from um, either established third party experts that we work with, whether it's around hate speech or harassment, (coughs) government, violent extremism, where we work with government authorities on child safety, where we work with child advocacy and government groups on
1: Uh, government, uh, government, government. That's who we work with, actually. Yeah.
6: But in the realm of misinformation, um, where oftentimes there isn't a very, very clear authoritative source you can point to for truth, it does become fuzzier and it becomes harder. And my opinion, what are we even talking about?
1: Misinformation is anything that we don't know to be a fact at the time. Because you don't know. Misinformation is like, it's mistaken information, right? So you think that you're right, but you're wrong, so you should get banned. What sense does that make? How do we actually find the truth if we can't make mistakes? We can't have any conversations about anything that we don't already know that would completely limit the development of humanity and our knowledge base.
6: Is that YouTube, I I, and my team and YouTube shouldn't be the arbiters of the truth. And we really oh. do try to avoid taking that position. We
1: When? When do you try to avoid it? When?
6: Really try to fall back to uh authoritative sources when we remove videos uh in terms of our policies
1: what the fuck is an authoritative source other than the government the cdc which had all sorts of shit fucked up during the pandemic and you banned all of us for pointing it out when we were telling the truth you were banning us is there an apology coming at the end of this
6: Um, we factor that into how our recommendation algorithms work as opposed to us arbitrarily trying to make those decisions.
1: Oh, great. Great. I'm glad it wasn't arbitrary. I'm glad you just listened to the government and you just banned us based off of what the government said we were allowed to talk about. Very cool. So let's see if they're actually practicing what they're preaching. Hmm? Let's see. The Newland, Newland, Victoria Newland, and Paya tape removed from YouTube after eight years. The most-watched version with subtitles suddenly was made unavailable on Wednesday. The tape provides the smoking gun of U.S. involvement in 2014 Kiev coup. Coup, sorry. Uh, smoking gun proving U.S. involvement in the 2014 coup in Kiev has been removed from YouTube. Or Kiev. I know I'm supposed to say it like that now. But I'm going to say Kiev anyways. Fuck you. Uh, from YouTube after eight years. It was the most-watched version. Da, 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 da. It was Assistant Secretary of State Victoria Nuland and Jeffrey Piat, 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 uh, the then U.S. ambassador to Ukraine in which the two discuss who will make up the new government weeks before democratically elected Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych was overthrown in a violent coup on February 21st, 2014. The two talk about midwifing the unconstitutional change of government and gluing it together and of the role then Vice President Joe Biden should play and what meetings to set up with Ukrainian politicians. The U.S. State Department never denied the authenticity of the video and even issued an apology to the European Union after Newland is heard on the tape saying, fuck the EU. Mainstream media at the time focused almost exclusively on that off-color remark, ignoring the greater significance of U.S. interference in Ukraine's internal affairs. Well then, seeing as we're not allowed to uh, to share this, apparently, I'm going to share it because your CIO just said that you are not going to be dictating what we're allowed to talk about. And seeing as the government itself never disputed the authenticity of this tape, we're going to listen to the audio of it. How about that? Shout out to Scott Horton for posting this because I've listened to this tape many times. No Agenda. Thank you, Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak for showing me this years ago. So I knew about this long before anybody else because of those guys. God bless No Agenda Podcast. And thank you, Scott Horton, for finding the audio so that I can play it for my audience because I want you to hear what Piatt and Victoria Newland had to say during the 2014 coup.
5: What do you think? Uh, I think we're in play. Um, The the, uh, Klitschko piece is obviously the complicated electron here. Uh,
1: And for the record, Klitschko piece is uh, Vitelli Klitschko. I believe it's Vitelli. Could be Vladimir.
5: um, Especially the announcement of him as Deputy Prime Minister. And, And you've seen some of my notes on the troubles in the marriage right now, so we're trying to get a read really fast on where he is on this stuff. But I think your argument to him, which you'll need to make, I think that's the next phone call we want to set up, is exactly the one you made to to Yats. And I, I'm glad you sort of put
1: Yachts is Yachts and Yook.
5: him on the spot on where he fits in this scenario. And I'm very glad he said what he said in response.
7: Good. So uh, I don't think cleach should go into the government. I don't think...
1: cleach uh, is Klitschko.
7: It's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea
1: yeah I mean i I guess
5: you think what in terms of him not going into the government, just let him sort of stay out and do his political homework and stuff. I'm just thinking, in terms of sort of the process moving ahead, we want to keep the moderate Democrats together. The problem is going to be Tony Bo and his guys, and you know I'm sure that's part of what Yanukovych is calculating on all of this um I'm kind of
7: I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's he's the guy. You know what he needs is Klech and Tani book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week. You know, I I, I just think Cleach going in, he's going to be at that level working for Yatsenyuk. It's just not going to work. Yeah, no,
5: I think that's you know? I think that's right. Okay, good. Well, do you want us to try to set up a call with him? Is the next step?
7: My understanding from that call that you tell me was that the big three were going into their own meeting and that Yachts was going to offer in that context a three-way, you know, three plus one conversation or three plus two with you. Is that not how you understood it?
5: No, I think, I mean, that's what he proposed, but I think just knowing the dynamic that has been with them where... Klitschko has been the top dog. He's going to take a while to show up for whatever meeting they've got. and He's probably talking to his guys at this point. So I think you reaching out directly to him helps with the personality management among the three. And it, and it gives you also a chance to move fast on all this stuff and put us behind it, behind it before they all sit down. And he, um, he explains why he doesn't like it.
1: They're literally discussing who's going to be the next leader of this country. And not just that, but like whether or not Klitschko should get involved in politics, which by the way, he proceeds to. It's, I mean, it's just incredible. Like, I just, I despise the fact that my government is so intermingled in the, you know, backroom dealing of the quote unquote democratically elected representatives of a country 5,000 miles away, one that is on the border of a nuclear power that we are now funding the war for because of our. Actions right here. That doesn't bother you? Bothers the hell out of me.
7: Okay, good. I'm happy. Why don't you reach out to him and see if he wants to talk before or after?
5: Okay, will do. Thanks.
7: Okay, I've now written, oh, one more wrinkle for you, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if I told you this or if I only told Washington this, that when I talked to Jeff Feltman this morning, he had a new name for the UN guy, Robert Seri. Did I write you that this morning?
5: Yeah, I saw that.
1: And when she's saying she's talking to Washington, keep in mind Obama and Joe Biden were the leadership at the time because it's 2014.
7: He's now gotten both Sari and Ban Ki moon to agree that Sari could come in Monday or Tuesday. Okay. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the UN help glue it and, you know, fuck the EU.
1: Bingo. They don't give a fuck what the EU has to say about this. The EU, which is directly adjacent to this entire shit show. Fuck the EU. It's about what America wants. And you wonder why people hate us, right?
5: No, exactly. And I think we've got no, to exactly. do something to make it stick together <laughs> because you can be pretty sure that if it does if it does start to gain altitude, the Russians will be working behind the scenes to try to torpedo it. And again, the fact that this is out there right now, I'm still trying to figure out in my mind why Yanukovych that but in the meantime there's a party of regions faction meeting going on right now and i'm sure there's a lively argument going on in that group at this point
1: you catch that that if if the russians find out they'll torpedo it so we are deciding the makeup of this adjacent country to russia and we are making sure we are ensuring on this phone call that we're going to have our hand on the lever To make sure that the leadership of Ukraine is one that will not be cooperating in, you know, in a way that's acceptable to Russia. We are directly involved in fomenting this war. And now we're directly involved in arming, funding, and continuing it. That's a big, big deal. Big deal.
5: But uh, anyway, we could uh, we could land jelly side up on this one if we move fast. So let me work on let me work on Klitschko, and if you can just keep, I, I think we want to try to get somebody with an international personality to um, come out here and help to midwife this thing. And then the other the other issue is some kind of outreach to Yanukovych. But we we'll probably regroup on that tomorrow as we see how things start to fall into place.
7: So on that piece, Jeff, uh, when I wrote the note, uh, Sullivan's come back to me, uh, VFR, saying you need Biden. And I said probably tomorrow for an attaboy and to get the deets to stick. So Biden's willing. Okay, great. Thanks.
1: (laughs) Boom. Boom, folks. And we need Biden to get the deets to stick. Joe Biden goes out there and he says, you know, you got to fire your prosecutor so you don't get a billion dollars in aid. That's all on tape too. I've ran it on this show before. So this entire narrative of like defending democracy, what democracy? I mean, I don't even value democracy, but let's not pretend that Ukraine is a real democracy. If you have, we talk about, you know, Russian election interference in America, right? That was the big narrative in 2020. Or 2016, excuse me. It persisted for three years after that. Um, <laughs> we talk about defending our democracy. Well, we, were, we are actively on tape, caught, red-handed, manipulating the democracy of Ukraine, 5,000 miles away. Could it be any more obvious as to why Putin feels cornered? Because he is. Like, is it, Could I make it any more obvious to you? On top of the fact that we have all these other nations that have, um, you know, entered the, uh, God, I want to say UN, I always forget what the fuck it's called, sorry, NATO, there we go, Um, against our express statements in, uh, in the 1990s. We've moved right up to their border, and we couldn't stop, we had to also put into power as friendly a leadership in Ukraine, and as antagonistic a leadership as possible, to Russia and Ukraine, and now we're on the verge of World War III because of it. Are you happy? I am very displeased about this turn of events, personally, and I would very much like to see us stop intervening before I wake up to a fireball in my rearview mirror here. Good Lord. Thank you guys for tuning in. love you so much. If you want to be a supporter of my work, go to libertylockdown.locals.com. I will be back from San Diego in a few days after you're watching this. And I really hope you enjoyed it again, libertylockdown.locals.com. We're out.
0: Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you are riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows us, don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening Scared Hollywood, lefties lyrical in A typo when Luke might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit